0: Welcome to episode 18 of Stomp the Stigma, the podcast aimed to fight the stigma surrounding mental health through education, awareness, experiences, stories, resources, and the vulnerable truth. Joining me to Stomp the Stigma today is Ashley Blythe. She works for the Phoenix Homes Program in Regina, Saskatchewan, and she works to house homeless individuals without any housing readiness requirements. So she tries to get them back on their feet and helps them reintegrate back into society. So today's episode is all about homelessness and mental health.
1: Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you?
0: Good. It is so nice to meet you. You too. First of all, I want to thank you for joining me, um, coming on my podcast and being open to talking about what you do, and I think it's so important. And I'm super interested. So thank you.
1: Yeah, no problem. I was pretty excited when Tony uh, was like, "Hey, my friend has a podcast, and you should uh, maybe see if he can join." And I was like, uh, "Yes." Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. So
0: awesome. So you work for Phoenix Homes. Yes. Is that what it's called? Yes, in Regina, which is so cool. Um, can yeah. you explain? I guess what what it is and what you do
1: okay yeah so phoenix homes it stands for housing and other case management and engagement services but okay. what we are is a housing first program um so housing first means that we have no readiness requirements like many programs you know require maybe sobriety or adherence to some mental health um you know seeing okay. a psychiatrist or taking the medications we don't have any of that. If you're homeless, you qualify. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And the basis behind that is that everybody deserves a home no matter what. And a lot of the times, you know, once you get into stable housing, things just go up from there, right? Like mm-hmm. nothing, nothing is worse than not having somewhere safe to call home.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: So yeah. It's like, there is so much to the job, honestly. Yeah. So... Housing First in Regina, we're actually connected to a lot of different programs that also do housing, but we're the only Housing First program in Regina. So that means that um, people do assessments when they're homeless. Um, They go through what's called our centralized housing intake program. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And based off of the domains, we kind of score people and whoever has the highest score would be placed with a Housing First program, which is us. So we deal with the hardest to house people, the one that have, you know, physical health, mental health, um, addiction issues, legal issues, basically all around people who are just really struggling. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, one of one of my favorite things that my manager just told me the other day was people can only get better once joining our program yeah so i am a case manager an intensive case manager for that so that means that i have a caseload of currently eight clients and we do everything honestly we will house them that's the initial we house them we get them on assistance, um, and then we set up everything we help them liaise with uh, landlords. If they need any psychiatrists or doctor's appointments, we set them up with those. Um, if they have any legal issues, we connect them with legal aid. We attend court with them. A lot of people, honestly, I've had a couple clients that like have never really been housed. So we teach them, you know, just basic maintenance of houses, um, you know, daily living things, cooking, cleaning, stuff yeah. like that. We help grocery shop for them. A lot of them, we do trusteeship, which is uh, budgeting for them. And then we also do a lot of harm reduction. So we do their medication management. We also help them with methadone if they're on the methadone program. And we do what's called a managed alcohol program. So that means that if somebody is strong in their alcohol addiction and quitting is not something they're interested in or could harm them, And they're using things like non-beverage like mouthwash or hand sanitizer. We try and put them on the managed alcohol program if they're interested, which means that we give them, um, we visit three times a day and give them a set amount of drinks so that they're Mm -hmm. only using beverage alcohol. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a harm reduction approach which (laughs) to a lot of people it seems very not
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay because it's like like well, you're giving people alcohol but these are people who would die like they would have seizures or withdrawal symptoms that are just so severe they would end up in the hospital without it uh, so that's why we run the managed alcohol program and it's also we take them to a doctor we check their um, blood workout we make sure that they're not you know at risk mm-hmm. either when they get their alcohol so it's yeah it's a really good job you have to be good at a lot of different areas. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it sounds like it.
1: But it's also very rewarding. Like the people I work with are just just the best people you've ever met. So
0: (laughs) yeah, I can imagine. That sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, that's that's like a little bit of the background of homes. Um, Yeah, my manager kind of saw the need and was like, you know what, I want to start this program.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I love that. That is such a good idea. So is there like a central kind of housing i i don't know what you call that like a complex or something or do you just find normal housing for people
1: um so we have scattered house um housing so that means that they generally live in apartments or most of them live in houses a lot of them um apartments are just like too close to people they are a little loud might have guests over that you know apartment people who share the apartment with them wouldn't like. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of them do live in their own houses. And yeah, so we visit them every day. Eventually we would like Regina to have what's called permanent supportive housing. So it's like a step above us where it's an apartment complex for those high needs. um, People who are struggling with homelessness uh, where it has like more intensive mental health support and addiction support. Mm -hmm. Just people around twenty four seven. We only run from um, eight thirty in the morning till ten thirty at night. There's a there's a little gap in care there where um, sometimes people just would benefit from having someone there, you know, at three yeah. in the morning to just chat with or
0: oh yeah, absolutely
1: help support them. So yeah, that that would be like a great goal, or that is the goal, is to have some permanent supportive housing mm-hmm. eventually in Regina um, because yeah, some people just they just need the extra support. <laughs>
0: How did you get into this?
1: Um, I was taking my nursing degree, actually. Oh, wow. And I was placed... uh, Phoenix Homes is part of a larger um, company called Phoenix Residential Society. Okay. And so they have a lot... Like, their main focus is mental health. So they have a lot of different programs. Some are in community. um, Some are in building where they just have their own buildings. And I was doing my placement and wasn't in the homes program actually, but was looking for part-time work afterwards. Mm -hmm. And my friend who had worked, who had done her placement through homes was like, Oh, I really liked it. And they're looking for part-time workers. And so I kind of snuck in there as part-time and uh, yeah. And then the case management position opened up and I was like, you know what? I want to be here like full-time. I love this job. I love the people. And yeah now I'm not nursing. I actually, like, I finished the degree, but I don't want really anything to do with the nursing part. (laughs) I just want to work with people, so.
0: Oh, I love that. That's probably the best feeling when you see somebody just kind of turn their life around, and you get to be a part of that whole process. I think that that's amazing.
1: Yeah, my favorite part about it is it meets people where they're at. You know, we don't have these big expectations we just understand that everybody deserves basic respect and support and we want to be able to give it to them
0: yeah I was actually going to ask you what your favorite part about your job is
1: oh there's honestly there's so many like my my favorite memories are mostly just uh driving clients to appointments but where we get to chat Mm -hmm. Uh, I love finding out what kind of music they like to listen to so I make sure that's on radio and It's just, there's so much human connection in the job. Yeah. And it makes it so, so great to work in and for.
0: Well, you get to meet so many different people and hear like so many life stories and different backgrounds and things like that. Like homeless people are stereotyped and judged so much, but like any, it could happen to anybody. And then you get to hear all about their (laughs) lives. Like that sounds like so much fun
1: yeah it's great it can be very um you know hard emotionally because there is a lot of trauma related with addiction and homelessness like um they're just most people who are struggling with addiction have some form of trauma yeah so it's just those are the tough areas but like it's also nice to see them have the support now and have the tools to be able to you know, work through some of that if they if they want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, before getting into nursing school, um, getting into working with housing first, like I had no clue about harm reduction or any kind of housing first. So it's really, really opened my eyes to a lot of different things that I would have never thought about if I hadn't taken this job.
0: Yeah. So is Phoenix residential just in Regina or is it elsewhere?
1: Yeah. It's just in Regina. Okay. Yeah. There are housing first programs. Like I know there's one in Calgary. I don't know the name of it. And I believe there's one in Medicine Hat. Oh, okay. Medicine Hat actually has functional zero homelessness. So that means people who enter homelessness uh, don't stay homeless for longer than a day. Oh, wow. Yeah, they just like they have all the supports in place so that if somebody becomes homeless, you know, they might access a shelter and then they know where to send them to get them housed. Wow,
0: that is amazing.
1: Yeah, that is that is the goal here in Regina. But yeah, no kidding. And one day we will reach it. It's just uh, not quite there yet, which Mm -hmm. is okay. I think we did. uh, It's called a pit count where we kind of went and surveyed in Regina to see Who's struggling with homelessness, and I want to say Regina. It was like 284 people that were still struggling with homelessness. Yeah.
0: So, do you have to go out and like find these people, or do they come to you in search of housing?
1: Um, in the beginning, it wasn't that we necessarily were searching them out. It's just that um, my manager had worked in places that were connected um, to people who are struggling with homelessness and so she kind of knew some of the core people that were and then eventually as we've gotten bigger um we now have like we're kind of the central place to get assessed and a lot of people do know about us so they kind of come on their own or uh, people in hospitals or incarcerated will um, be referred to us yeah yeah.
0: Okay, so the homeless population is stereotyped and judged so harshly. What are some of the stigmas that you see and hear about the most? And I guess, is there one that bothers you the most about it?
1: Um, I mean, a lot of it has to do with money. People think they're lazy, that yeah. they should just go get a job, that um, they're just leeching off the government, which is absolutely not true. Uh, if anybody's ever lived on welfare money, like, that is barely enough to get by. Um, so I think that is probably one of the biggest ones. It's just that, like, people are ve- people are very concerned mm-hmm. that taxes are going towards them. My kind of favorite thing about Housing First is that for bleeding hearts like me, you know, it just – you just love it already. You, you love the people you – just love doing it, but then, you know, people who are concerned about the money, um, we did a survey about four years ago when we didn't have as many clients as we do. We have 32 now. And we took a look at how many, how their services have decreased. So that's ambulance rides, going to the emergency room, going to detox, police services, stuff like that. And I want to say we surveyed 15 to 20 people and we save almost 2 million dollars wow. of taxpayers money because they're not taking those ambulance rides they're not yeah. using those emergency services they're you know so oh it's probably God. increased quite a bit since then yeah but you know like people have to have healthcare right and it's yeah. got the money has to come from somewhere yeah so once getting housed like i know there was one Person who probably took an ambulance ride almost daily, went to the ER almost daily, stayed in detox probably nightly, um, and once he was housed with us, once a month if that. Mm
0: -hmm. That is incredible. So at what they have a place to go? (laughs) Yeah. So at what point do you kind of stop um, visiting them and like kind of decide that they no longer need your help?
1: Well, it's all very client centered, so. There are some cases where um, they feel they're ready and they no longer want services. I'd say because we are housing a lot higher needs, um, we're not quite equipped to graduate anyone from the program, just because like a lot of those like cognitive needs are there forever. But there are a few people who have graduated and a lot of it just comes from stability. Like once they have stable housing, um it just kind of snowballs from there we just want to make sure that like they know how to talk to a landlord they know if they're on assistance how to get direct rent paid um if they're not on assistance like how they're gonna pay their rent and yeah if they feel ready and we feel that they're ready they can they can graduate from the program
0: wow oh you must get so excited when you when you see somebody leave you
1: yeah it's it's bittersweet like yeah, Yeah, yeah you love to see it but yeah also don't want them to go because you just you love them so much but I mean the nice part about us is that like if they want to come back Mm -hmm. um we kind of have that bit of an open door policy like hey if you're struggling with anything just let us know and we'll try and help you um figure it out because sometimes people just need just that little hand up (laughs) not the huge supports and you know everything together but just just a little little guidance (laughs)
0: yeah oh I love that so you I guess you see homeless people um, that are unable to afford, I guess, housing because of their mental health issues or issues related to mental health. Um, yeah. Do you think that the aspect of homelessness kind of exacerbates their mental health issues or struggles at all?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: I like. There's a variety of mental health issues that our clients come to us with uh, schizophrenia Mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder um, drug-induced psychosis bipolar disorder hoarding disorder panic disorders anxiety depression like there's a lot of that and uh, i would say you know like the lack of stability they're not seeing doctors very frequently a lot of them are stigmatized within the healthcare system itself Mm -hmm um and a lot of them do turn to substance use to you know try and numb the pain and that can exacerbate a lot of mental health illnesses as well so yeah it's uh, it's definitely very difficult especially if you're struggling with your mental health yeah. to also have no home and like no no safety basically
0: yeah and do you see people that are homeless because of their mental health as well
1: Yeah, yeah, I've seen, um, you know, sometimes people who are struggling with high mental health um, don't know how to talk to their landlords or they get themselves into some scary situations where, you know, maybe they decide to live with a friend or an acquaintance and that doesn't really work out or it can become abusive. People who struggle with their mental health are very vulnerable a lot of the time. And so it's easy to take advantage of them. Um, I know for a long time there's the stigma that, like, people who struggle with mental health are, you know, violent and scary, but they are more likely to be a victim of crime than they are to to actually commit crimes. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: Okay, so for your work, like, you deal with kind of – Some of the darker parts of people's lives and the tragic stories and like the heart-wrenching situations, like how do you leave that at work when you come home? And like, how do you separate your work from your own life?
1: You know, sometimes I don't.
0: Yeah, I feel like (laughs) that was be so
2: hard.
1: These are just really beautiful people that you definitely take home with you. It's hard not to think about them. I've definitely had... like I attend counseling, especially with some of the harder um, areas of work, and I try and take a lot of self care time with my dog. Um, before COVID, I went home. My family lives in Lloydminster, so I'd visit them quite frequently to kind of de stress. But yeah, it's it's definitely hard to separate. Sometimes I'm I'm okay with the lack of separation because like there's clearly passion.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> behind it, but yeah, you definitely have to figure out ways to leave it at home or leave it at work but also to know that like I very much trust the team I work with so that if I'm not there like there are other people who are amazing at their job who are fully capable of taking care of um, the people we work with as well
0: right like you know that they're in good hands and you don't have to worry about it when you're not there
1: yeah Yeah. I think that is a big thing for all of us like we get very attached to our own caseloads but it's very we have a really strong team um, of full-time and part-time staff that I just know that if I need someone to help me out like they they care just as much about the people we work as I do and Mm -hmm. it will all be okay because we are all working towards the same goal
0: (laughs) absolutely ah I love that there's nothing better than a good team like I've worked places where the team just doesn't jive and it is not mm-hmm. fun when you have to like kind of babysit your coworkers. you're like what am I doing this is not part of my job but
1: yeah yeah I I'd say sometimes all of us are super passionate so when we have different points of views it can get frustrating but I wouldn't say that I'm ever like angry about it because I know that they care just as much yeah and we all just, you know, have different life experience, different schooling experience. Like we all just see things a little differently. So it's, uh, yeah, it can get quite passionate. But like, at the end of the day, we all just want the best for everyone. Of
0: course. <laughs> I feel like you'd kind of have to be pretty passionate about it to do that kind of work.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, it's. Uh, my parents have had to listen for years now of me just <laughs> being like, you'll never guess what. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Does your like family or friends ever get sick of hearing about your work? Like Oh probably. <laughs> I feel like in some ways it's depending on the stories. Like it can be really dark and like hard for other people to handle. Do you ever get people telling you like, Okay, I can't really handle what you're talking about?
1: I wouldn't say that, no. no. I mean, a lot of my work I also can't really share a whole bunch about right, because there's confidentiality right. and I do want to, you know, keep my clients' privacy in mind at all times. Yeah. Um, I'd say one of the bigger things about my family and friends is that, like, when the dark things are happening, sometimes it gets me pretty depressed, and they're more worried about my mental health right. and safety sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah, I nobody's ever told me not to talk about it, <laughs> but I'm sure sometimes they're like, okay, Ashley, like, <laughs> we get it. We lo- You love your job. <laughs> yeah.
0: Anthony, you mentioned that you guys um, talk about your own struggles with each other, um, specifically anxiety. Yes. <laughs> Are you comfortable talking about your own mental health? Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah?
0: Okay. Yeah. Is it just anxiety that you struggle with?
1: Um, I'm diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, okay. but I also have a touch of depression, which isn't quite diagnosed. But my doctor basically said, like, they go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Do you remember kind of like the beginning when you first realized that you had these mental health issues?
1: Um, like when it clicked that I needed help was in nursing school.
2: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. It actually took me I think I was 24 when I was actually diagnosed. Um, and then... Once I was diagnosed, I was, like, going back through my life, and I'm like, oh, yeah, a lot of that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So, I, like, I'd say lifelong struggle with anxiety, but yeah. being the shy kid.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and then, yeah, I was about 24. I, I had severe anxiety going into my nursing placements. Um, I would, I couldn't feel my arms, like, from the tips of my fingers up to my shoulders, I would puke. Um, I had a racing heart. I was sweaty in the hands, like very typical physical symptoms, lots of insomnia, mm-hmm. um, lots of tears. <laughs> and yeah, and then uh, I finally was like, I think I need help. Yeah, that's fair. And went to a doctor and he was not great. <laughs> so I went home to Lloydminster and went to my family doctor instead. <laughs> um, it was, He wasn't terrible. It was more he focused on things that I didn't feel were, like, relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, And then prescribed me Zoloft, which, like, from my experience in nursing school, I was like, I don't know if that's quite the medication I need. And then went home, and my family doctor was like, well, he's not wrong, but I think you should try something else. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I've been medicated ever since, and it's been a world of difference.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Initially, my mom was, like, a little – worried about like taking medication because she's like I don't want you to be dependent or you know mm-hmm. like she's pretty worried about it she's like you could stop in a year right and I'm like well yeah but I haven't mm-hmm. <laughs> and once I you know got to that peak level of like being medicated she's like man we should have medicated you earlier <laughs> oh so yeah I'm like, I don't <laughs> I would say uh, working in the field that I do, like it can be anxiety-inducing, but it also like it's helpful for my anxiety. Like I have to face a lot of my fears daily. Mm -hmm. um, And I think that's made me like a much more confident and maybe a little more internalized anxiety.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, do you think that your own mental health experiences have helped you understand and like relate more to the people that you help at work?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say yeah. I'd say I don't know that I've ever struggled or had as much trauma as they have. Right. But I can definitely um, empathize with them on, you know, worrying about what people think or worrying about appointments. Yeah, I, w- I would say that sometimes when I'm talking to someone who 'Cause counseling is a pretty stigmatized thing as well. Yeah. So when I'm talking to someone who we're discussing counseling, I always like tell them that I see a counselor so that it doesn't feel like a big, bad, scary thing yeah. and that it's normalized, you know. I wish almost everybody would see a counselor. Like they're so great.
0: <laughs> right. Like you don't need to have mental health issues to go to therapy or see a counselor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I think those experiences um, because a lot of times I am younger than a lot of my clients, and a lot of my clients are indigenous, and I'm clearly not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they just can feel the differences, you know, sometimes I feel like maybe I can't empathize. So it's right. always great to have areas where I can humanize myself to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And while I will never be able to understand, you know, half of the things that they've ever experienced in their lives, at least they know that I can. I can empathize with them and you know, try and put myself in their shoes.
0: Do you get anxiety attacks?
1: I used to. Yeah. I don't as much anymore. Um, yeah, I'd get really panicky, like heart racing, can't concentrate, trouble breathing, yeah. like. Um, but I, I've noticed that I' I have created a lot of coping skills for myself. Um, past my medication. Like I always say medication isn't the cure. It's just the stepping stone to being able to like calmly figure yeah. out the extra things I need in my life. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah. I agree. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. If I'm not medicated, like everything's the end of the world, everything's <sighs> going wrong. Yeah. How could I ever deal with it? When I am medicated, I'm like, okay, I don't like this, I'm uncomfortable, but I can I can figure this out. <laughs> mm-hmm. So So I would say I do a lot of breathing these days. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Do you meditate
1: at all? I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I I quite enjoy it, actually. I've heard it's
0: super helpful and, like, relaxing, but I've never tried it.
1: I've actually run a couple groups with um, our clients at homes to do some meditation. And so far, the people who have attended love it. Like, it's very relaxing. There's a couple that don't, because there's various, you know, ways to meditate. A few of them didn't like closing their eyes. But I found um, one of my counselors actually gave me, it's like Celtic knots that you just kind of circle with mm. your finger or a pen over and over and over again. And it's the same as meditation, because you're just focusing on like one thing. You can't really think about anything else. Yeah. Um, so I like trying that with them a lot.
0: Do your, like every time you have kind of an anxiety attack or like a anxious like situation are your symptoms or your like physical signs the same every time or do they change um
1: I would say they're pretty similar each time like I can I can definitely feel like when my anxiety is beginning to get heightened past the point of like comfortability Mm -hmm. (laughs) or like my heart like my chest feels tight and my heart races and I definitely tingle in my hands and my feet before Uh it kind of reaches up my arms. Oh, wow. Yeah.
0: What, so what is your kind of go-to method to like bring yourself back?
1: Um, it really depends where I am, like what's causing it. Uh, generally I saw someone who kind of did a, um, technique with me where it's like, what can I control and what can I not control? And, anxiety is all about wanting to control everything
2: <laughs> yeah
1: so I definitely do the like tally in my head like can I control this like what can I change in this moment yeah um but if I'm at work like I definitely go to a co-worker's office or my manager's office and just chat about it right away to try and stem a lot of that anxiety Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always find like getting a different point of view helps because you're so in your head about it and you think everybody's just like judging you and looking at you and really it's not it's usually not as bad as (laughs) you're making it out to be
0: well I love how open you are about it and that you're able to talk about it with other people right away because I think so many people just internalize it and keep it inside or they're ashamed or embarrassed or anything and they just Mm -hmm. don't talk to other people about it. I love that you just are able to do that right away
1: yeah <laughs> I used to be uh pretty nervous like I'd share and then I'd be like oh my gosh that's over sharing actually yeah. <laughs> so stick it back in uh but I've also had a few people be like I like how you like always just talk about it like it's just a fact of life like this is you know this is you and you don't make anybody feel bad about it hmm And so that's really like helped me to kind of continue just being like, I have anxiety and a little bit of depression and, you know, lots of people do.
0: (laughs) Yes. I love that. And I think a lot of people should start talking about it more in that same way, because like for both of us, our mental health struggles don't define who we are. Like we are so much more than that. Right. Like, Mm -hmm.
1: mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely been a journey that way, but it's, been great to kind of overcome those barriers and
0: yeah oh I'm so happy for you that's amazing thank you okay I have um just a couple questions that I like to ask all of my guests I'm sure you've heard it on the podcast already um do you have a favorite thing to do for
1: self-care oh honestly baths like if I've had a stressful day I love a warm bath like I just melt in the tub. <laughs>
0: oh, that sounds so nice right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'd probably be my favorite. Yeah. I uh, I like to just hop in the tub. Sometimes I'll bring a book. Sometimes I won't. And just kind of just relax. And, you know, it's helpful physically, but it's also just helpful mentally to just, like, feel the warmth and just kind of relax it away.
0: <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing. Okay. One last question for you, and then I am done. Um, is there a stigma or a misconception surrounding mental health that bothers you the most, or that you hear most often that isn't true?
1: Uh, <laughs> I know so there's many. so many. <laughs> there, there's a lot. I feel. I think one of my biggest ones is currently with um, our drive to destigmatize um, mental health. That we kind of forget a lot of mental health in the background. Like I feel like anxiety and depression has kind of taken
0: the uh, forefront. Yeah. Like those are the, the go-to mental health issues that people talk about, but there's so many more than that that are just in yeah. the background. That is a very good point.
1: Um, yeah. Especially with working uh, with, you know, people who have schizophrenia Um You know, people are scared of people who have delusions and hallucinations. And I think we still have a long way to go to decrease the stigma. Like, I'm glad that we're talking about anxiety and depression because I do think it's super prevalent in so many people's lives. Mm -hmm. But I think the, you know, quote unquote, scary mental health um, is still very much stigmatized and not talked about because it's nice to talk about our mental health. (laughs) Yeah, that a lot of people have, but maybe not so much the you know bipolar disorder and schizophrenia and hoarding you know stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize that hoarding was kind of like a a mental health issue, but I it it makes sense. Yeah,
1: Mm -hmm. it's uh, also strongly linked with OCD.
0: Oh yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I think I think that's one of I wouldn't, I don't know if it's necessarily a stigma, just that I feel like there's varying levels of acceptable mental health right now.
0: Yes, I love that. And I think
1: we need to work to all of it being not stigmatized.
0: Absolutely. Oh, I love that so much. That is the goal here. (laughs) Yes. Okay, well, that is all the questions that I had for you. Um, Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about?
1: think so I mean I could go on forever yeah (laughs) about homes and
0: I mean your work sounds so interesting and rewarding and just oh incredible like I want to do this now
1: (laughs) yeah I definitely um it's one of those jobs to like it just sucks you in like we have so many people who become students who are like yep now we're we're in it and yeah like they want to work part-time and yeah it's uh it is definitely rewarding.
0: I'm definitely going to look into similar programs uh, here in Calgary. Yes, I'm so curious.
1: Yeah. I wish I could tell you the names off like hand, but okay. <laughs> I don't quite know them. <laughs> but I do know I do know Calgary does have Housing First, which is just I love Housing First. I love accepting people as they are, where they're at, you yeah. know, and knowing there's potential as well. But yeah, just loving them even even in their darkest moments. So that's the...
0: Oh, my heart.
1: That's the, best. that's the best part, yeah. No, there's... Honestly, there's so much to talk about with homes, too. Like, it's not just mental health-related. Like, there's a yeah. lot of physical health, like uh, HIV and hepatitis C. Mm-hmm. And that's also very stigmatized. And.
2: Oh,
0: 100%, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: There is, yeah. Homelessness itself is just, like, a very stigmatized population because of you know the experiences that they have unfortunately yeah, yeah. and yeah yeah i like at the beginning when you said like basically everybody can be at risk of homelessness because it's very true like yeah. accidents happen jobs get lost you know uh mental health addictions like there's so much that comes into play even in canada the fact that like our housing is super unaffordable
0: yeah even someone that has a decent job like it's so hard to afford anything I don't know of how it is in Regina, but in Calgary, it is so expensive.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, and they kind of say that you should only spend 30% of your income on housing. And that's not the case for, like, basically anybody.
0: No, I definitely spend more than that on my house.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just stuff like that where, like, housing is just, like, kind of not affordable for people. But... Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, there's just, there's so much to homelessness that can occur to people that people don't even think about. Yeah.
0: So if people want to know more, want to ask you more questions or reach out to you, can they do that? Or how do sure. they do that?
1: They can. Um,
0: what is the best I mean, way to contact you?
1: Uh, my work email, probably. Okay. would be a ablythe mm-hmm. at phoenixregina.com. I, lo- I love when... Uh, Tony was like, hey, you should, you should talk about this. And I was like, oh, I'd be so excited if it reaches just one person to oh. see, see that our program exists and that there are people there to help. And yeah.
0: Absolutely. If you are helping even one person, then it's all worth it in the end, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. No, it's, uh, yeah, I was pretty excited. I was like, oh, I'm I was so nervous. I was like, I've never talked on a podcast. <laughs> Well, I
0: hope you're not nervous anymore. I think it was a great conversation.
1: Yeah, no, I thank you for letting me join and talk about something I'm so, so passionate about.
0: Well, thank you for joining me. I feel like so privileged to even like hear about your work and what you do. And I'm still like shocked at how amazing this sounds. (laughs) And I'm so happy that you're able to come on and share it with me. So thank you.
1: Thank you. I, uh, yeah, I feel like sometimes uh, our programs don't get talked about as much. Yeah, just because we're trying to do a lot of the background work and <laughs> yeah, so it's it's nice to share with people that like these programs exist and you know there's there's people there to support everyone. Well, yeah, I think a lot of
0: people like I guess once you become homeless, you have no access to any resources or.
1: Uh- Right, the like if you don't if you don't know insane. that
0: these programs exist before this happens to you, then they're so hard to find.
1: Yeah, no, the barriers are definitely difficult, especially during COVID when everything is kind of over the phone. Like a lot of people yeah. who are struggling with homelessness don't have access to phones, um, yeah, yeah. or internet, or you know, like it's just there are a lot of barriers and. In- place even um, when we get clients on like getting ids ids is so hard because they don't have all the background stuff you know like they don't have their birth certificate they normally don't have a health card they memorize these numbers like they have great memories Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but they don't actually have the physical copies and like to get a birth certificate you need to know so much information about like your parents where they were from where you were born um, if people were adopted, especially like uh, our indigenous clients who have been part of the 60 scuba residential schools might not necessarily know that information.
2: Wow. Um,
1: so to get a birth certificate is just difficult and then yeah, and then you can't have ID without like photo ID without two pieces of ID. and it's just oh, wow. yeah. yeah. The process is, you know, and how do you get these things without a mailing address?
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good point.
1: Yeah, so and to get on assistance you need a mailing address as well, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like lots of barriers for people to even start getting connected. Wow.
0: There's yeah. so many different layers to it all that so people many. The so <laughs> people just don't think about it, but wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah, that's why I sometimes struggle explaining my job because I'm like, but we do kinda of everything because people who have struggled with homelessness need everything
0: yeah wow you're so multi-talented
2: That's crazy
1: <laughs> i mean we also like send them out to because we're not counselors or anything like that so we send them to those kinds of supports but
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's definitely a team effort within within our team and then within the greater community as well
2: yeah
0: oh i love it i love it
1: me too me too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for tuning in today. Feel free to reach out at any time. You can contact me on Instagram and Facebook at StompTheStigmaYYC, and you can email me at StompTheStigmaYYC at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts. And if you or someone you know would like to come on, I would love to have you share your story, speak your truth, and together we can Stomp the Stigma.